0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back into, yes, back-to-back solo episodes just with a different host. You guys heard Noah on the previous pod mention that I was out on Monday, so he took over and did another nice job doing a solo. You guys know that I had done about three or four individual ones before him and I did the recap of the Indiana State game and had a lot of takeaways of kind of where the team's at, where the program's at, because... You know, when you lose a couple games like that, and the kind of fashion that you do, it makes you look in the mirror a little bit. So we did a little bit of that. hope you guys enjoyed that episode and enjoyed Noah's last week. I'm Nick Malone. Going to dissect and recap the win that was Tuesday night against Lincoln, Missouri, University. Uh, Mainly, and then I'll get into Around the Valley, the typical kind of stuff. There's some main headlines I'll jump into first. Some takeaways from that game on Tuesday, uh, and then a little bit of side news, some other recruiting news for 2024, some guys that we know we're in on, just some noteworthy stuff from them. Uh, we actually got a Cade interview today, which is good, I'll dive into that near the end whenever I talk about Chicago State, who I'll also jump into at the time, almost got a huge win on uh whatever night that was, Tuesday night as well. So I'll I'll dive into all that, like I said, along with, or when that was on Tuesday. So jumping into it first, I wanted to start out with um, some news before we get into that game. Uh, it also came out today, just some noteworthy stuff on time changes on uh, and television changes to certain games, and it was announced that our January first game against Belmont. New Year's Day, ringing in twenty twenty three on national television. That says the game will air on either ESPN two or ESPN for that four o'clock game at Banterra. This is obviously good to see. As soon as they said it, it's like oh, it'll be on big ESPN. That's a busy day for sports. New Year's Day is NFL, and then even the night before is all the like the main bowl games and stuff. So it's an it's a busy stretch of games there, and yeah, there's even games that day, so it's either you watch SIU or you watch all the good football, and a lot of people hopefully will get some good, uh, you know, turnout for that on TV, for whatever channel, hopefully it's on ESPN2, a lot more people can see that, so, and they're, you know, they're advertising that a little bit, and they're showing when people can get tickets, want people to get tickets as they should, uh, we haven't had an ESPN2 game, I want to say in a couple of years, uh, yeah, the first TV broadcast at home on the ESPN family of networks since 2020, when they said we beat you and I by three that 2021 20, season on ESPN two. So yeah, there's been some. I want to say there's been one against Loyola even before that. Perhaps I just it hits me of thinking of that potentially. But so that was the biggest news of the day. One of the biggest news of the day is that. And then I noticed on Twitter earlier. Has it been announced from SIU? I actually saw it on Northern Iowa's Twitter account saying how our game against them on January seventh got flexed to a one p.m. game. I'm not sure what time it was originally. If I looked at the schedule, I don't think the original schedule that I'm about to, that I'm going to try to look at here had any times on it. It didn't, and maybe the ESPN app has it changed now. Also, go back and look at that as well uh, to see if it did change. Yeah, it did. So, like, it probably changed on here. I'm not sure what time it was at. It was a Saturday, so probably a night game that flexed to a one o'clock game. Uh, So, just saw that. Like I said, SIU hasn't posted about it, so I had to mention it to update you guys uh, because, like I said, I don't. I'm not gonna retweet. You know, you and I's post, I guess I could. Maybe we will post something here at some point. Not sure. So two notable things related to the team in itself. Then uh, some other things here. It was good to see, uh, it appears, Chris Carr, who actually I'm pretty sure Marcus just passed on the, I'll get into that in a second with more updates on all-time stats for some players, uh, Chris Carr got inducted into the Missouri sports hall of fame on Tuesday, which is nice. There was a picture and everything. Great career. We talked about how he, he, uh, chatted with the team either last year, or the year before that, uh, just coming in t- you know, telling them what it's like of being a Saluki, what it takes to win here and stuff. And Chris Carr was a fantastic player. As I said, he was, he was in the all time scoring list that Marcus had previously just passed, I believe there was that, and then it was also today that, and we retweeted it. We know the players had the NIL deals with jerseys from many jerseys posted about Troy and Clarence. Let me click on them again if they posted to anybody else on our team. Uh, just Troy and Clarence, and we were talking about this because because uh, we know this was the case beforehand seeing it like before the season started and we were retweeting it and we haven't really seen any around Bantera Center. We hope that people are buying them helping the the players out a little bit. And I I think there's like one dog pal member that's got a double zero jersey that, you know, is the actual road jersey, but it's nobody's. And we haven't really been seeing any. So hopefully people can buy them and wear them to the, th- we know we've talked about maybe buying one. I think they're like 75 bucks uh, for most of the players on the team. And some people will pay that and hoping that they do. That's obviously a bargain for jerseys. You can get, depending upon how you get them, you can get jerseys for $15, you know, first at certain spots and usually good jerseys at the professional level, I guess, or can run over a hundred dollars. So 75 in general is not bad for some of your favorite college players. So hopefully that, uh, people are buying them to helping out the players with their NIL, as I said. So, I wanted to give those a retweet again. Uh, and then Trent was in the doghouse on Monday, which uh, Noah did talk about, but he didn't get the chance to listen to it yet because he was doing the pod as it was going on. And it was nice. You know, Trent's always been a well-spoken guy. He's he's the, the number one leader on the team, as we'd say. And, you know, maybe as I got into the game, I would talk about it is uh, Trent's still an amazing defender. He's the best on-ball defender we have on the team. He's important to have on the floor at all times. I'm glad he's still starting. He needs to be in closing lineups, which Noah dove into that. It has been, it did change last game, and this game he didn't really need it because it wasn't really close. So, didn't really get to see it here. We got a lot of guys in that we like to see into the game, and I'll I'll jump into that. Um, But just how Trent's importance on the court and off the court, and he was, like I said, really well-spoken and mentioned uh the biggest thing i took from it was well, he talked about like clarence separately about what he brings he talked about lance and how hot he can get and trent says he knows and the team knows when lance is on a roll he'll get into like a into mood and he'll get into a zone that they can tell uh and then he mentioned how one day they asked him about the potential of coaching and he said he's he's definitely gave it some thought uh he knows you know the uh how it you know the process of it all he sees you know coaches over his career uh, coaches hit over his whole career I mentioned Brian and the staff now and he knows the work that goes into being a coach and it does interest him I can see Trent definitely having coaching ties one of these days he's really smart knows the game really well they talked about a lot of other stuff as well kind of the season to to a point and what's been going on with him in general and it's it's funny because I actually want people to mention, maybe we heard about it when he when we signed him as a freshman and we talked to him a little bit at the open house and we mentioned doing interviews on our podcast at some point, talked about it in the past. It's funny because we actually talked to Stephen Verplanken at the open house last year and he was interested, never obviously happened and he's not even here anymore. I would love to ask Trent about what it was like playing with Nico Mannion and playing in high school back in the day and I think we should have we can have some good conversations. So we always mention interviews and we know – you know, getting people on a podcast can be a process in terms of uh, monetary reasons and stuff, and you know, we'd be willing to do that for the content reasons, and we just like to be able to talk to these players because we feel like we can get you know more out of them than what t- typical people ask them. You know, we can talk to them more on a person-to-person, personal level than maybe some other people can. So I just said that knowing I would like to talk to Trent about more parts of his life and his career, maybe one day. But that was a good interview with him. Like I said, we retweeted that. If you guys want to go back and listen, about a 16-minute interview with Trent on the doghouse. And then some other thing that I, that I wanted to mention before I dove into the game was a takeaway from what Brian mentioned on the pregame with Mike. Uh, you know, he talked about whatever. us fans and knowing how much, you know, how long it takes for us to get into sets or how long it takes for us to get a shot off the last couple of years and kind of like stagnant offense. We saw it at the end of. Wasn't anything like that with him. Um, So we've kind of evolved here a little bit and we know we're heavy. With these games, and even I'll end up going back to the games previously against not these kind of caliber teams. We need a half to two seconds, and It's obviously doesn't seem like a lot, but in the grand scheme of a shot clock and a game clock, it definitely is. Uh, Again, so if we were whatever we were shooting with five seconds left in the shot clock or eight seconds of the shot clock last year, now we're down to like six and a half, maybe five even or six. Uh, So those are the kind of analytics you'd love to see. Those kinds of specific stats that are cool, honestly, and finding out a lot of that stuff. And we know we kind of have an analytics-driven staff, so they you know, notice that, and there's so many things out there that can help you to find out some of these stats. And that's a notable one because, like I said, we've been preaching for a while now that stagnant offense, you take too long to get in the thing or take too long to get a shot off. Uh, hoping we are been hoping that could change over time. And like I said, against these games, it's hard to tell if it matters and if it changes moving forward. But that was an open from Brian because I don't think we've heard anything about that specifically from him since, like I said, we've been thinking it for years. So I wanted to pinpoint that. So now this game, I'll get into where we are in Campom after this game. Not that it matters being the D2 school, but we know it fluctuates all the time with so many games that are being played. Noah talked about some of the games that were coming up. I'll dive into the, how those finished out and everything. There hasn't been any games since – it uh, might have been a game on Wednesday, but definitely Tuesday. To, uh, from Tuesday to tomorrow, there hasn't been any games. So I'll dive into some. Till the next time, we'll talk to you guys, which might be – we know, I think, when, uh, Wednesday is SEMO, so we'll try to come to you guys maybe on Tuesday uh, to, to recap and preview. That'll be the next time we talk. So I'll try to go up to that point with the games. Uh, so let's talk about this game. I mean, it was what we expected it to be, to be honest. Uh, we honestly, you know, uh, knew it could have been a blowout. We knew some parts of this team that could have gave us fits. We know they have a really good player. Noah talked about him. Uh, and I'll, and I'll dive into him, but we I mean, we, honest, we ended up finishing the job like we expected to. Uh, this was the 50th win, I think, said of Brian's career. I'll get into some more of that stuff with a couple of takeaways. Not a whole lot to take away from a game like this, but I will say, I mean, I'll get into the first half box score. We kind of got away from him a little bit, and you could see the... Uh, you know the margin of victory was gonna get bigger and bigger at the end of the first half, whenever it was, and then you knew by the end of the game. And I mentioned it a little bit about it. Uh, so I mean, the biggest parts of this game was let's see, what's his name, Kevin Kone. I mentioned how and Brian talked or Noah talked about what he did previously been against UMKC, which we know. You know, if they beat them, and the whole pattern of it is that they beat them, they and then UMKC beat Indiana State, Indiana State beat us, that whole thing. And, you know, they've only played a couple D1 games. This was only their second D1 game as a team. And Kevin Kone was one of two players that definitely stuck out. He had, against UMKC, he shot 40% from the field. He did have, though, 19 points and 15 rebounds. So I remember tweeting at one point about how good he was, that that's what he averaged, but that was just his D1 averages. He's averaging 15 and 14 on the season, you know, for his games on top of that one game. And then in our game, he ended up with 13 and four. I'll dive into more of that. But he was he was phenomenal at the start of this game. Uh, honestly, I mean, he – when we started Clarence once again, but he had their first uh, – Couple points. Uh they made a they made a couple threes. I mean Clarence, as soon as Kone scored, Clarence matched him and then Kone had another layup. He was scoring easily on Clarence. That was a tough matchup. And I'll just say, I mean, he should not be playing here. We mentioned how I think Noah talked about where he was beforehand and everything. And say it'd be nice. And we we always talk about it in the moment. It's funny. Like, hey, we'll trade some of our guys specifically for a guy like this. He's phenomenal. And he he didn't rebound a whole lot in this game, but you can tell. I mean, he got a rebound off of some more of these throughout the game. Got an offensive board to finish, uh, but he he seemed he seemed like he was going at an unstoppable pace. And during warmups, we couldn't really notice or which one was him. And then he was like the last one out of the tunnel, and you could just tell. It's like yeah, that it's it's that guy. And he was every bit of a stub. He really was. Um, if I could find, let me go into box scores here. Uh, like I said, first half, it was kind of, we were kind of matching them at first. It was kind of one of those things that we thought they could hang around, and we're not starting very well at the beginning of games. We're going to have to change that in our next matchup tomorrow. Uh, but, I mean, other than that, it was outside of him scoring a little bit. I mean, I was going to go into also who their other player was that showed out who also shouldn't be at this D2 level. And they had a couple guys. I mean, Sam Routens, we know, started. He only had three points in this game. Had a three. Really nice form. He's obviously a nice player. We know who his dad is. uh, But he didn't do anything else. And then they had Stapleton. Uh, R.T. Stapleton, which he was in Division I before. He was at at Lewis for a year. Then he was at Radford for a season. Only he's a three-year senior. That's just where he's been so far. Might have been somewhere else. He's a stud. Like I said, Radford, not let's see, let's see what he did in his Radford career. Uh, had 188 points in that season. I wonder what would I mean, he's he's talented. I wonder what would make him come to a school like this at the Division II level. Uh, but he's every bit of good. Him and Kone led the way. I mean, they're the only ones in them for double figures, thirteen and eleven. Stapleton shot four of 10, but like I said, at the start of the game, they were doing okay. It's just by the end of it, they took a lot of those guys out, and it didn't really matter. But at halftime, it was it was good to see what we were doing at half. Marcus had 15 of his total, 17 in the first half. He was getting easy looks. He made a three, uh, but he was getting the easiest of jump shots inside the arc. I mean, he was, I guess we kind of posted him up at times, but he was just getting some kind of separation and right inside the free throw line, he was getting some easy turnarounds or easy pull-up jumpers that they couldn't stop. And I think even Marcus was shrugging or shaking his head on the way down once and saying like, it's almost too easy or they can't stop me. And granted, that's how we want him to be, but it's against a D2 team. You need to do that. And they didn't have, you know, they, the matchups for Marcus were very favorable, 100%. So, so he was great in the first half. had two rebounds, played 15 minutes, had a steal, x six points perfect from the free throw line he's got a perfect shot we mentioned how well he didn't shoot any threes in the first half uh but he was two for three from the field in general he led us with four rebounds he, x is a great rebounding guard uh i'll end up going through it at some point again here like what he is rebounding he i mean he's one of our top rebounders for sure and he's honestly doing that more than he's assisting right now we thought his assisting was going to be his top thing He's rebounded the heck out of the ball. Had four to lead us. Also had three steals at the half to lead us as well. Lance led us in minutes. He only had three in the first half. We'll talk about how the, the big second half that he had. Three rebounds, four assists in those 16 minutes. Uh, other things that stuck out, I mean, everybody played besides AJ. And I'll talk about AJ in the second half. Cade played uh, about really just five minutes, didn't score in the first half. You know, Troy Troy had a really good game. Coming off the bench and playing the four, he was on it at times. It's exactly what we need him to be and what he's more comfortable being. And, You know, nobody had talked about it. We discussed it at Alcorn State. Whenever Clarence started, we had a tweet about it. I had mentioned saying, thankfully, just because of the way he's playing and it's kind of just the way that we were. We needed a change up of some kind. And, you know, it's no disrespect at all to what we were saying about Troy and his dad was adamant about going at, you know, some other fans were talking about how think. Thankfully that and they were saying, like, yeah, good that Troy's out of the lineup, which is unfair and unjust and people can have their opinions. Uh, but then, you know, his dad was going off of, you know, some comments made there, so we thought ours was taken out of context a little bit. And i and I talked about it it's just a whatever it takes to win, you know, we didn't mean any disrespect or anything. It was just a change in for the team and It looks like Troy's, you know, potentially going to be better at this kind of role. We know he was good at times. as the five. But, you know, obviously if times get hard for a team, you need to make some kind of changes. and That's what we did. So Troy only had two in the first table getting what he had in the second. Dalton, five points in four minutes. He did have a three, which we were talking in warm-ups. He was shooting threes and wasn't making them. It's like, man, take game shots. And he made his one in the first half, two for two from the field total. Jawan one point. It was at the free throw line with one of two in eight minutes. J.D., J.D. did not score. He did in the second half. Didn't do a whole lot in nine minutes in the first half. Good, Just good to see him out there. Foster, two points. Clarence, four. Two, perfect from the field. Didn't rebound, but did have two steals himself in seven minutes. Trent didn't score in eight minutes. And if I'm missing anybody... Uh, that's it. So like I said, uh, AJ was the only one to not play in the first half, but I, I did mention how, uh, we were very efficient in that first half. Marcus, uh, was perfect pretty for the most part. And then I mentioned how we just need to to get consistent stops and we'll win big. Luckily that happened, but we were at times we were letting them get some easy looks for some reason. Uh, they were forcing some shots. Stapleton was getting in the paint with he. He was getting deep in there and he was trying to have some contested layups, and he was missing at times. Maybe got we maybe got away with some fouls at times, but he was good, and we got some kisses and stops, and that's all it took. And I mean, we were shooting we were shooting sixty two percent the first half. Only missed ten shots, made sixteen of them. So three of nine from three. Did well otherwise. Not a whole lot of rebounds. There was a lot of made shots. So not a whole lot of. There was twenty three total rebounds in the first half. Uh, so, so yeah. Other than that, we had twenty two points in the paint in the first half and ten steals. So and ten bench points, which is good to see. We had eight. We had, did have a lot of turnovers, and that's something we obviously need to fix a little bit. Brian's been preaching it to not turn it over as much. I think they mentioned that to him in the post game about it, but they, we forced 13 turnovers of theirs. So that's how the first half, that's how the first half was, but the final and we we hung away and I'll get into the box score here. uh, Ended up being a 88 to 51 lead. It got, and that was 37. I believe it got maybe around 40. They made some late pushes at the end. We talked about how it gets to the point where you don't want to have to bring your starters back in. Just to like just to be safe, but they were getting some shots up at the end. Scored 88 on the game. Like I said, Marcus had 15 of his 17 in the first half. Uh finished with he was our only block of the game. He led us in minutes still with 27, but it wasn't 30, which was good. It should have been way less even than 27. X had six. Eight rebounds to lead the team. Five assists, four steals. I know it's against, I don't want to, I just want to go through what the players did. It's obviously not too special against a team like this. I don't want to say, oh, X got eight rebounds, five assists, four steals. It's it's not like what he did against uh, where, like his slew game or other games where he was dominating, like against a team like that. This was against this team, but it's okay. He still put up or filled up the stat sheet. Trent did hit a three. It was near us in the corner. We sat in decent seats once again. Clarence. Again, I want to say the stat said this is his third 100% shooting game. 12 points, six of six, two six of six, two rebounds, two steals, and 16 minutes. Lance led us, or had 25 minutes. Hannah Marcus tied with 17 points. Lance had a stretch there in the second half where I think he made four threes in a row. That's what he is, and he's got such a beautiful shot that you just wanted to be consistent with that shot. And even there were times whether it was in the heat check or it was in general, he would shoot the bad shot off an offensive rebound or just early in the shot clock. If he makes it, it's whatever. I think we just end up shaking our head a lot of the time because uh, that is what Lance is. And if it if it it's kind of like, and it'd be kind of hypocritical to say, well, if it goes in, okay. If it go if it, if he misses, what's he doing? Stupid shot. So we don't want to be like that, but. And I talked about the freedom that he has that Brian allows him to, allows him to have is incredible. Against in in a in a game like this, you can afford it. Can't afford it in other big games against better opponents. But he did play really well. JD did score was a layup. He was one of two. There was a point whenever he got fouled. I think and uh, that might have been in the first half. He got fouled underneath the rim. Someone fell on him. It might have been either on the defensive end or offensive end. And he was down for a second and honestly it was at the angle like he fell to where his back could be, his back could have been bent a certain way. So immediately knew that like what are the odds and usually how it happens. Like we talk about Jay Sean Henry. Concussions can happen in basketball. He's had like three now in the span of two years or so. It's crazy how the irony of him being able to hit his head or do anything to, to have any impact on his head again time and time again like the irony of it, continue the same injury. That's kind of this, like one of the odds that JD gets twisted a certain way to maybe hurt his back, but he was fine. Thankfully ended up scoring in this one, had a rebound, had an assist, only played 13 minutes. Um, Foster had eight points. Uh, Lance talked after the game, talking about how, uh, uh, how there was a play whenever he missed Foster early on a, on a wing three on a fast break, but Lance mentioned after the game that he was waiting for uh, Foster's guy to commit to Lance. And he didn't until the point that he passed it. He was waiting on him a little bit. Then he kicked it and Foster made it eight points, two of four from three. uh, And in about 14 minutes for him, I mentioned Lance, he had eight assists to lead the team as well four rebounds with those 17. It's typical, really good. Lance can be efficient. Uh Chris Cross came in at the end of the game, had a couple shots, didn't make them, but he was good. Cross Cross is talented. We've talked about it in the game that he did play. What was it? Tennessee state. It's good to see Chris out there. Still have yet to see JR. We've talked about him a little bit. There's kind of a a conspiracy maybe that we've discussed that Noah's mentioned. That's funny. Is perhaps we're redshirting him. We know he's a true freshman, but apparently he was a McDonald's All-American candidate in the state of Tennessee which we talked about. And that's what his bio has said before. And we've never even seen a play and not saying the red shirt, a walk on to potentially be a factor down the road could be because you would think that he'd be getting games like this. So keep an eye out for that. We, and Noah mentioned that, and that's something that if it ends up being right, you heard it here first on the dogs basketball podcast about the future of J. R Jacobs. But uh, Jawan, Jawan was a dog of the game last game, in my opinion. What did he have? 12 points. He was really efficient. Was really good. Uh, and I believe that was the game where uh and I wanted to mention too in that out Al- in that Al- alcorn game, I don't think Noah mentioned it we were wearing road jerseys because Alcorn's new road jerseys weren't hit there yet, and they were wearing their home jerseys, which they never use. So that was why that happened. I just remember because the Alcorn game was good. I'll dive into them again, like I said. But I think Jawan was the was the dog of the game in that game. Played really well. Clarence was finding him and had a uh, had a layup that wasn't really expecting from Clarence. And Clarence has been a really good passer so far this season as well with everything he's done. He had one in this game. Uh, let's see. He had three points. AJ had six points. Two of two from the field. Two. He made two free throws. They were perfect. And he played 11 minutes, had three steals. And, again, that seemed like it would be the team lead, but X had four at the end of the game. Again, AJ, he played a little bit at some point in the second half, then came out, didn't do a whole lot. But he also didn't have any of those like out-of-control moments at the start when he gets in. He didn't have any of those as soon as he got in, he gets steals, and there was one specific play, of course, where he got it, kicked it to Dalton, Dalton waited a little bit on the fast break, two-on-one, flipped it up to AJ for an alley-oop. Special play, and then he scored again on a certain play, and he's a steals machine. And I guess I'll just mention it now with the whole D2 thing, because we talk about how because Noah and I were talking about how, you know, certain teams get play. I think we're we're just talking about Valpo in general and KV on Taylor. The last couple of years for them. 2000 point D2 score, a veteran. And then you get McCauley, who, yeah, was at DePaul. But then Shirts ends ends up with him now. And he's a leading scorer in the valley and he's their best scorer. Uh we're talking about how we're happy that AJ's here. Uh and he's obviously got talent. It just shows you that he still has a lot more work to do or he'd be playing a lot more. Uh but you see the moments. It's just the fact that he's so young still and he's still so raw that we needed a – if it was going to be D2, it needs to be a veteran player. And Noah and I agree on that because you look around the valley. Quincy Anderson, D2. I don't know what like Owen White, who went to uh, South Alabama, is doing right now. Guys that we were in on in this offseason. Quincy Anderson, who's at uh, Murray State, scoring a lot for them. You need veteran type guys, and like I said, I'm, we're happy AJ's here. But you can tell, like, because he's not playing a whole lot, that he's still raw. He still has a lot to work on. That we needed a D two player. If you're going to go that route to be a veteran fringe two thousand point score at that level, to help us, because AJ's position, his skill set, is exactly what we need and we're lacking right now. So hopefully he can play a little bit more as time goes on. Not sure. I can see him playing tomorrow. I mean, he matches up well with some SEMO players, depending upon how that goes, and then into conference play. Uh, but he looked really good, and he's a really good free-throw shooter, too. He's just solid, and, and his, like I said, his minutes have been sporadic, but hopefully he can be in, work his way into games at some point. Uh, Cade play, did have a layup at the end of the game, kind of threw one in, had two rebounds in 12 minutes, and then Troy, four points. He, he had a dunk. He had a putback dunk, actually, and then finished another layup. Like I said, just looked really good. He was, in terms of the flow of our offense, it doesn't seem to be. But he was, you know, he was dribbling handoffs. He was setting good screens, just playing more freely, it seems like. And, and Brian, because I think he was asked about Troy's Troy making the switch now. Uh, and a, bit, a lot of it's because of J.D.'s back, obviously, and moving Clarence to the starting role. Uh, but then Brian even mentioned that Troy can play anywhere. He's willing to play anywhere. he can it's just whatever is the top of the top comfortable for him and what fits him best and that's exactly what it is right here Dalton ended up with eight points in about 13 minutes didn't do a whole lot else but shot well was two for two from three which was good to see and then stats wise we allowed them to only shoot 41 percent we shot 63 percent 48% 48% from three, went 11 of 23, went 5 of 6 from the free throw line. Not a whole lot of fouls in this one. Not a whole lot of bonus, but not a whole lot of shooting shooting fouls as well. Uh, rebounds, we had 31 to their 18. We had 25 of them defensive. Uh, let's see, we only had the one block. Uh, steals, we had 16 steals as a team. Uh, they only had 5. And we had twenty four points off of their twenty one turnovers uh we ended up we had five more in the second half, what was that they ended up having just eight in the second half uh and we had eight second chance points forty six points in the pain, which is good so just an all around forty minute game and that's what Brian mentioned in the post game but again, like you can take away the specifics of certain things that went right compared to you know certain things that went right compared to, you know, just beating a team like this and not having a whole lot else to take away from. Uh, So that was the game. Like I said, we got some stops and then we just, we got everybody into the game, which was great. Those are the mainly, the only takeaways. I did have some quotes from Brian here. He said, I'm proud of our guys. I thought they came out with the right mindset for a full 40 minutes In terms of how we play, they shared the ball. They did a pretty good job of keeping the ball out of the paint. And overall, everyone that played contributed and impacted winning. Uh, He said, for us, it's about continuing to get better. That was our challenge to the guys the last 48 hours. It was good leadership from the seniors by being ready to go from the start. Uh, End quote. So... So yeah, I mean that's all pretty much what you can take away from a game like this. Like I mentioned, Kone's game and Stapleton's game—they were really the only factors in this one. We scored fifty exact points in the second half. They so said they kind of benched some of their good guys, but but Kone and Stapleton should not be in at the Division Two level. They should easily be at the next level. We like their game a lot, and we know the whole ties that they mentioned with their head coach. Uh, he got some recognition before the game started as well. So it was a game we were supposed to take care of and that we did. Uh, I wanted to see here now some some things looking ahead to uh, some notes after this game. Going into this next game, some quick hits. Uh, as a team, we have 168 assists in 11 games, 15 assists per game, ranked third in the Valley, Uh, And Marcus leads us in that category. He's right ahead of Lance. Five five of our players, though, have 10 or more assists on the season. So that's good. We're 62 points allowed per game. It's third in the Missouri Valley and 43rd nationally. We're holding opponents to just 28% from behind the arc, which leads the Missouri Valley and ranks 28th nationally. Only five teams have shot over 30% from distance against us this year. Our eight-and-a-half steals per game ranked second in the Valley. Lance leads the way with two per game and has recorded multiple steals in five of his last seven games. So I mentioned there was the one game where he didn't have any steals. I think that was Indiana State. He didn't have any. Marcus, I mentioned earlier, passed Chris Carr on the all-time scoring list. He's now 17th. Or um, Excuse me. That's not yet on the scoring. He moved to 17th in SIU history with 270 assists. It was funny because at the game they have like the – the quizzes on there, they, get, they ask somebody in the stands, and one of them was who leads this all-time in assists, and obviously Brian was on there and won that. So Marcus has a lot to do, or a lot to go left before he catches Brian. He's 10th in school history, averaging 3.2 assists in 84 career games, so, so that's a per-game average. And he has multiple assists in all but two games a season. Clarence now is shooting 74% from the field. He's only missed 12 shots on the year. We mentioned some, a couple key ones he had against SLU that could have win his way. This percentage would, would be even higher. This is the best of any SLU player with more than 10 attempts. And, yeah, he, as I said earlier, he shot 100% from the field in three games, including a pair of 6 for six ones. X set a career high in threes made in Evansville before setting a career high in SLU. He is leading us, shooting 13 of 28 from deep on the season. Foster ranks second on the team in three-point percentage at 46, averaging just over 10 minutes per game. We're shooting 48% from the field, which ranks second in the Valley, while ranking third in the Valley, shooting 34% from three. Uh, and I mentioned earlier Al- that the Alcorn win was Brian's 50th career win. He is the 11th coach in program history to reach 50 wins. So. Those are the final things of, like, stat-wise to take away from this game. I did have a couple takeaways. I mentioned A.J. playing well, making highlight plays. And I just mentioned the D2 topic of how people can take advantage of that. And you kind of need a veteran. But we like A.J. and like his potential. We'd like to see him in more games. And then I mentioned the specifics of scoring more against bad teams. The only only thing is – it's just the way it happens. Like if you're able to get in nice offensive sets, you're able to penetrate and kick and get open shots and those kind of things, which I guess even those are hard to take away from a team that isn't really that great. Definitely on the defensive end or just in general, I guess you can't really take away some of that stuff, but you know, just those it's, it's more than just getting easy layups, you know, whether they're just missing defensive assignments and you're able to actually, Work on that. Like Clarence had more spin move layups tonight. I mean, he is unstoppable around the rim. He's also pass passing the ball well. We've noticed that Marcus really is only a good passer when he's out of the post. We've we've seen him take the ball out at times. He can't really get the ball in, and he's making kind of sketchy passes at times. But those are things you pinpoint. Of. You know him creating for others and how other people create for others. So there's some some specifics you can take offensively and how you can create a shot. But again, uh, playing against a team like this, it's hard to really have a whole lot of the positive moving forward against other good teams until you actually see it against them. So there's that. I say all that in saying that positives take away from this three-game stretch, and we still have one more to go. And this team seems like the better of all the three that we have in this stretch, which we've been preaching before the season about how – It's unfortunate that not only is it three straight games and home games, yesterday's crowd wasn't that bad. I think it was better than Saturday's crowd against Alcorn. Uh, But I think the quality of these teams we've played, you know, Alcorn, we mentioned before, they won at Wichita. And for what it's worth nowadays, if that's even a big-time deal, we know them before, it was impossible for anybody to win there. But they did it, you know, and we talked about how they're better than they had been in previous years. We know we were down 14 to them in half and down 17 early in the second second half and, and beat them, came back and won. they just a really good offensive team, and those are teams you don't want to play, and you know, because they're battle-tested. They play all those caliber teams all the time. And so, you know, in terms of that lower level of teams, Alcorn can compete with some other lower quality teams, even like I think of an Evansville, per se, that they can compete with. Uh, Just, you know, and they had a – I don't think Noah talked about it. They had a freshman that came in that was a nice, like, goon-type player that hurt us at times, and they had some freak athletes, and they were a nice team. So I don't think they're, like, the worst of the worst. And then this team on Tuesday beat UMKC, like I said, who beat Indiana State. Like, that's just the product of college basketball. You never know who can beat who. Uh and this is part of it, game by game kind of thing, which that's been a topic amongst us if if that's the case or not. But we mentioned how I'll get another one, I mean, and that and then Indiana State lost to USI and USI lost to Chicago State and Chicago State almost beat Murray the other night and they beat Valpo for what that's worth. So I mean just a lot of chaos. Proving that some of these teams aren't as bad as they think. Like, they're not high in the net. They're not high in the Ken Palm, They're not high in overall ranking. Anybody can compete with anybody, and these teams play like they got nothing to lose, and that's what you don't want to have happen. But I think the quality, and we'll find out tomorrow, and this is before we even play them. I might even mention it again once we're done with Chicago State, that, you know, uh, like, these teams, these matchups could have been worse. You don't want to play D2 teams on your schedule, but this seemed like a better one of, others per se like other types of D2 like this was a quality team Alcorn was a nice team like they had some nice wins and then Chicago State has gay people scares and played well this season like I said we'll find out more about that tomorrow so those are mainly the takeaways and I mentioned the scoring uh you know outside of scoring 88 Tuesday uh whatever we scored against Alcorn was obviously it was close whatever we scored around between 70 and 80 and then, or more, and then, but before that, I mean, we scored seventy-one against Indiana. So I was going to say, here's where our scoring increase has came, and I, we're over seventy a game now because of these. But we scored seventy-one against Indiana State. We scored seventy-two against uh, Slough and then Evansville. I mentioned is kind of on the caliber of even an Alcorn State. I would say, who knows. Evans will be scored 80 at third place. So we're kind of outside of just the bad two games, the Slew-Indiana State game, we're scoring a little bit more. So that's good to see. And we talked about how our defense has kind of taken a hit in those previous games. So kind of sacrificing a little bit, as I've mentioned. Uh, so those are just some of the things. You know, you can't take away a whole lot from games like this. Just, I think the biggest thing is just experimenting with more things. We saw it against Alcorn, you know, and, and the Tuesday's game until it was an absolute blowout, Alcorn was at least close at the end, which is, you know, seeing a closing lineup and seeing other kinds of stuff compared to this game. You can't really see a whole lot. I think a Chicago state might be a little closer as well around the Alcorn state thing. You never know. Uh, so we'll maybe see more in that. But those are really the only takeaways you can have from, you know, matchups like this, per se. So I'll get into them here in a second. I want to go into now games from when Noah last talked to you guys on you know, games around the Valley, UIC beat Prairie View, and UIC's getting some love recently, you know, and even some power rankings. They could be around the middle of the pack of how they're playing. They're playing well right now. And here's the game right here was Chicago State. They were beating Murray by 20 at the start. We were keeping up with it while we were there. And in general, they were winning big. They had a player drop 25 in this game, but he was also matched by Jacoby Wood on the other side. Uh, they had a huge, They had a huge lead and Murray just stormed back brick by brick. They took a late lead. Chicago State would take a lead. Murray would match them with a huge shot on the other end, and then it would get into closing time, and then Murray was able to take the lead. Chicago State had about 9 to 11 seconds left for a final possession, went down, some kid was dribbling at the top of the key, ended up having to throw up a shot that he airballed, so Murray escaped. Imagine if Chicago State got this win. Like I said, they beat USI, who beat us. They beat Valpo. I mean, they're three and nine on the season. They've only lost by one to UT Martin. Martin, they they beat USI by seventeen. And I mentioned teams are clearly way different at home and on the road. Chicago State's really good at home. That's where they beat Valpo. That's where they beat USI. And then you'd seem like they would struggle on the road. They clearly didn't in that game. They've played some other games that have led up to this moment. They lost by thirty. Their first game of the year against Northwestern. Uh, they lost to like Kent State a lot. They lost. By Marshall, they got killed by Marquette, Cleveland State. So they're clearly that. So I'll get into them more. I was actually gonna say more of that. But the fact that they competed, they're three and nine, and they almost beat Murray, almost broke that 18 game home winning streak. So I want to look real fast. I want to say that's the last home game Murray has until they host us. No, they host Murray tomorrow, which I'll get into some other games before that, and they they're on the road and then they host us. So so Jacoby Wood had 24 to lead them in that comeback win. So they escaped Chicago State in that one. And I mentioned no other games on Wednesday or Thursday, but or tonight. But tomorrow, there's only three more games. And that is our game. And then, like I said, Murray hosts Austin P, six and a half point favorites tomorrow at seven. And Murray State, Missouri State, excuse me, continues their tough non conference. Against another good team. They play Max Obnas and Oral Roberts. It's crazy because Max averages 19.7. I believe he just reached the two thousand point mark for his career. I saw earlier. Let me double check on that. We know he was testing NBA waters. They made the tournament in 2021. Uh he tested the waters, maybe even could have entered the portal, and honestly wish he would, but he's played in 99 games there in his career. He's had a heck of a career. I respect him for sticking there and building his legacy. Yes, he is now at t- 2016 career points. Unbelievable, in some of the the things that he's been doing there. So Missouri State will have to deal with him tomorrow night in their four and six season. Or Roberts is projected to win sixty five percent, and Or Roberts is eight point favorites against the Bears. And then Saturday, you and I plays Townsend eight and three Townsend. That's a tough matchup. You and I's had a good non con as well. Indiana State. Here's a test for you. Another road test. Using the USI, we feel like at times we should have beat them at home. They go at Duquesne, who's eight and three. So that won't be easy. That'll be a nice test for them Saturday. Illinois State in an Indy Classic. It's against Ball State. And Illinois State's kind of riding riding good wins right now. And then Bradley gets at Arkansas on Saturday at three. Calling nine and one, tenth ranked Arkansas. Some really good games. I mentioned Indian State Duquesne's a great game. This one, even though Bradley, they don't have a spread yet. Clearly, we'll know that tomorrow. Seventy-nine percent chance to win from Arkansas. It's actually pretty, pretty low. I thought it was gonna be really higher than that. We know, we know. Bradley seven and three, and they're really good. Arkansas is really tough, though. So that'll be a tough loss for Bradley, probably. And then here's the big one, 7 o'clock Saturday night, Drake at SLU. SLU's been struggling. They've dropped some games ever since they beat us. They lost to Iona, who's really good. They lost to them by 22, lost by 5 to Boise at home. Uh, so they've had two games, and I just remember seeing, because I follow St. Louis sports in general, not the Billikens necessarily, but people talking about how they're kind of struggling. And people are mad at tra- mad at Travis Ford and things that they're doing, which is shocking. But they do host Drake, and then they host SIUE next Wednesday. So tough home games for them there. Drake will be a great matchup for them. That is a must-watch game. Seventy-two percent chance for Salute to win. And then Sunday's game: Northeastern goes to UIC. Valpo hosts Elon. Belmont's at Chattanooga. I think that's a little bit of a rivalry, perhaps, and the Missouri State hosts Central Michigan. Uh, I mentioned I won't come to you guys probably until Tuesday, but on Monday, Chicago State's at Illinois State, so they're playing most of the Valley. Bradley hosts Stonehill. And then on that Tuesday, we'll jump into it at that time, but Drake gets Mississippi State, who's having an undefeated season right now, 17th ranked, no, no telling where they'll be at that point. And then UIC at Northwestern who's 7-2, so that'll be a great, so some really good matchups for Valley teams to finish out the non-con schedule, so we'll dive into those games again as time goes on. Those are 4 o'clock and 8 o'clock games, so we'll dive into those when we preview SEMO on that Tuesday, so there's that, and then net update, I keep having on here, it's not changing, we're still at 84, they'll have that every couple weeks, I'd imagine. I did see today, and people have been talking about it, just some small things that. Apparently Purdue calls themselves Floorburn U. They had a post that talked about it. We know Matt Painter's there. We know he was a former SIU coach and all that stuff. But you know where that initially comes from. And they had a video where it said Floorburn U. And we know that's where this is from. So, you know, as Illini fans, we don't like Purdue uh, either. And we're not too fond of Painter because he was just here for one year until they got a better opportunity. Can't blame the guy. Uh but especially if he's stealing our mantra, don't really like that. We know they're rolling right now. I think they're number one in the country, which is shocking. Zach Eadie's leading the way. But saw that. Can't be stealing our floor, you. Someone's got to get on that and talk to talk to Matt a little bit. A little bit on the recruits here I mentioned. Uh, there's still no update on Kennard. We'll see some people post some things. But nothing, a whole lot to discuss with him until like a big one happens we actually got tickets thankfully to uh the highland tournament we mentioned to you guys that we go to regularly didn't the last couple of years uh excited to go to this one and Kennard will be there so we'll get to see him with our own two eyes which will be nice uh but i mentioned some of the 2024 recruits which i forgot to mention camp i'll mention them in, in the chicago state preview some things here. And we, we remember guys like 2024 guys like Jaheim Weber, six, nine forward class of 2024 at a normal. uh, And you were talking about some offers that he, that he has had and he's had, we know we have offered him, we offered him him in July, Bradley offered him as well. And then he visited Belmont, Illinois and Iowa during the fall. And he mentioned a couple of the Valley teams here about, About his his first offer, which was from Illinois State, he said, Illinois State is the college in my hometown where I live, so it's easy to go watch games and stay in touch with coaches. We know how Illinois State has a huge 300 pound player going there next year, and Jaheim is a year even after that. So that's notable, and Peden can get the job done on some things. We know I saw recently that Illinois State's also in on a four star player for 2024 as well with some other teams. So hopefully they don't land a guy like that. So Peden can be doing some work here in 23 and 24. And then he mentions us, which that was the whole reason why I wanted to mention this article. He says Southern Illinois is the first school I ever visited last year. They have great coaches and a very nice campus. And then he mentioned Bradley. He said it's close to home and they also have a great coaching staff and great trainers. Uh, so you know, he's fifth in the in the Illinois 2024 rankings and was the top big men in the region. Definitely the case. And we mentioned how, you know, he's got a whole other year to decide where he wants to go. We mentioned how he visited Belmont, Illinois, whatever Belmont. Belmont is obviously a high caliber program. They're in the Valley now, but you can look at the Illinois and the Iowas of the world. That would be eyeing him at that point. And, you know, depending upon what's good with us or what's happening with us at the time, we'll have a seven foot Junior at that point we'll have a uh what is this? A Clarence Senior and your Scotty Redshirt Junior Senior. So depending upon how our roster looks, be nice to add a guy like that. But that's around the same size as guys we had. Not really a fit. But as long as he doesn't go to Illinois State or Bradley, that's all it cares. So I spent too much time talking about that. And then Cole Kurtter, though, another 2024 guy of the Wolves that we've been in on 6'5 Gar, he received an offer from Penn State. That was earlier today, about an hour ago, he posted that. So that caught my eye. So no one, guys, that could be out of our reach at that point. That's, those are going to be big classes that we're going to have to focus on here. At some point, knowing that that will be in the in the long-distant future of Marcus and Lance's career, I actually, I guess the, the year after, if they take their fifth year, I suppose. Who knows how we'll look at that point. So those are some small things I wanted to mention. So with all that being said, I don't think I mench- I missed anything else. Let's talk about our game tomorrow. We see a spread now against Chicago State, 15 and a half, seven o'clock game. Uh, it's, a, it's a Friday night game because graduation for SIU is Saturday night, and they didn't want to have it on a Sunday with a lot of things that obviously go on on Sunday games. They want people to go, and they're thinking they're more likely to show up for a Friday night game, uh, which is good. So tomorrow night at seven, they chose 90% chance to win According to the matchup predictor, I mentioned the spread there. What's the over/under then? 133. I can see that being, uh, you know, manageable. Especially if we want to score as much as we are. If we can score 85 points, all they got to score is, you know, around 50 points. Which obviously I would like to think can happen. I'll get into the side-by-side stats comparison here in a second. Let me go talk about this matchup. It is the 13th meeting between us. And we're leading the series eleven to one. We are seven zero at home against the Cougars, and three and one on the road. The last meeting with them came in twenty fourteen season when we came away with a fifteen point victory, sixty five to fifty. They entered this game at three and nine. Obviously, they built a double digit lead on Murray, as we know. Before they rallied, they and I mentioned they hold wins over IUPUI, Valpo, and and USI. Uh, and some other things. So outside of that, I guess there were some other quick things about our matchup and stuff. Uh, they do score sixty eight a game, um, and they but they uh, allow seventy seven. So we know the way we've been scoring, that'd be nice to keep that average around that or more. We want to score in the eighties or more. We almost could have got to a hundred the other night, but Chicago State's going to be better than who what that D two school is. So hoping we can stay in that offensive groove. We only average sixty-nine a game, that's right ahead of their sixty-eight. They shoot, they shoot forty-three percent from the field, we shoot forty-eight. About even in rebounds per game, even though they average maybe close to like two more per game than us. We average more assists, about four on the dot more. They average more blocks per game. We mentioned how that's something I wish we would be better at. We do have a seven-footer, seven-foot freshman. If he plays, J.D.'s not much of a shot blocker. And Clarence, I think, needs to be more of one. And we don't have Scotty. I think Scotty would obviously play a big factor into our shot blocking as well. Not doing a whole lot of that. Two a game, they're at three steals. They're at about six. We have eight and a half, and we're riding the two-game win streak. They're riding the two-game losing streak. So a little bit into the personnel. Like I said, they had uh, Corbett, uh, Jayshon Corbett. Corbett's a sophomore, a true sophomore uh, for Chicago State. He had 25 in that game. He's averaging 14, nine rebounds as a 6'6 player, one assist, one block, shooting 49%, 70% free throw shooter. But the leading scorer is Wesley Cardette Jr., another 6'6 sophomore. He's averaging 16, 5, and 3. With one steal, one block, 47% from the field, 86% free throw shooter. He's shooting 37 from three. Corbett shooting 33. They have uh, Elijah Weaver, who averages 11 and four with three assists, 33% from the field. So not shooting well from the field, but he is shooting good from the free throw line. Uh, They have Brent Davis, who's a junior, averages eight and three. So, I mean they have they have a couple of guys that have played in all games, a couple of guys that haven't. You know, they have some transfers that came from places, uh, which I wanted to find that where some of these players came from. Here's the I mentioned Weaver. He started his career playing two years at USC, uh, in which he scored 144 points for the Trojans his first year, 206 them in his second year quality player obviously in his first couple years of college uh and then he entered the portal had to sit out actually i don't believe he did because that was around the covid year so he was able to play right away he went to dayton for two years didn't do a whole lot his first year about close to 100 points scored 146 in his second dayton year and here he is now i mean he's from georgia he has really no chicago ties Maybe and we know Chicago State's an independent school, so they're not in any conference or anything. They just go around playing a bunch of teams all over the country, kind of like how Notre Dame does in football. Uh, but even though Notre Dame's close to the ACC, but they're an independent. And but he, and he's having a good year so far this year. So he's had a nice career. He started and he was doing good in the Pac-12 and then went to Dayton. So quality player, someone you got to look out for. I mentioned his 11 and four on the season, and they have a couple guys that just fill in. So. You know, they average fifteen turnovers a game. They shoot thirty-two from three, seventy-six from the free throw line, forty-three as a team. Not bad as a congr- as a combined team, I guess. But overall, I mean, they have some size to them. I think I think their tallest guy actually. They have a couple six-nine kids. Other than that, they're they're all about you know whether even those guys some of those guys even play. But the best players are the ones we got to worry about. So remember Wesley Cardet Jr., their leading the scorer. Remember uh, Elijah Weaver, who I was just talking about. Remember Brent Davis, and then remember Jay Sean Cor Corbett, co- Hammond Cardet, a couple of six six guys at start who make noise as sophomores. So really notable when we still expect to win this game, but it's definitely notable whenever they go into Murray State and almost win, especially having a big lead. And I talked about how we sl- we start slow. We started slow against Alcorn. They were, you know, grabbed the lead at times in that game, and even the, even Lincoln, you know, were hanging with us at first, couldn't really stop them at times at the start of the game. And we've been able to pull away. It's crazy the roller coaster seemed like this team's been on again because we mentioned how we were really good in the first halves at the start of the year, and then crapped the bed in the second half, blew some games like UNLV and stuff. And then recently it's been – Bad first halves, really good finishes, and again, it, it gets it's against certain teams you can't really take away from. But it looks like in this matchup, you can't afford to uh, start slow because they probably won't look back if that's the case. So, so other, I mean, other than that, pretty solid, you know, matchup. Them coming in here, I think the dog pound said they're gonna it's a green out, which ironically, Chicago State's green. But I think it's a whole Christmas feel. Dog Pound's been doing a phenomenal job. They're actually better at the D2 game than they were at the Indiana State and uh, Alcorn State game. So it's kind of weird. Finals are over, though, to this point. So we'll see how they go. We know as soon as that happens, they like to go home. Uh, so hopefully we can get some fans there. This is the last home game, like I said, until January 1st. So we'll see how it plays out. A couple more things here. Well, I had... Prediction of 15.5. I expect us to cover that by the end of the game. Not sure how it'll be before the game. Haven't talked to Noah about a dog of the game. Yeah, I mean, you f- pick apart some. I, I want to see more guys in the flow of everything. I would like to see AJ play more. I'd like to see JD get more comfortable offensively, knowing that's not his game, but just in general. Uh,. Want to just see you know Lance continue? He was six of nine in this game. Want to see him continue and finally get on a good, consistent, hot streak from the field, and not have really good, really bad, and that pattern. You really go with anybody, but again, I think as a as a group, don't start slow because then Murray's a team that can claw back. I'm not sure if we are. We've done it before. We did it against Oklahoma State, I suppose. But to each their own. Certain games are different, and how certain teams play and the play style. Play like you got nothing to lose, and things can happen. So Chicago State can have that mindset coming in. So we'll see. Um, like I said, hopefully we can cover that fifteen and a half by the end of the game. Safe to say, I mean nobody, you know, wouldn't be against anybody taking if they were just thinking in general of them covering Chicago State covering the fifteen and a half. It's possible. Uh, like I said, just don't start slow and finish strong. Uh, I did mention. Uh, let me, let me look real fast for Kempom updates. We are still the third ranked Valley team. Uh, I think we're, we still funneling around the 100 mark. If I could find it here, updated. We are now at 108. Bradley is 100 and Drake. We know they lost a 30 point game the other night and they hope play slew coming up. They are now 90 seconds. So they have fallen a little bit. Some other teams that we've played this year, where they now are, UNLV is still undefeated. They are 74th, I believe. They're now 25th in the country, or they're ranked now, I believe. Uh, which, by the way, I just see Wichita at 82nd here, knowing that that's who Alcorn beats. Uh, let's see. Slough is 63rd. Uh, and Kansas State, just knowing some teams that we played this year, they're 55th. Uh, and then the only other team that will be on here that we did play is Alabama, who ranks 10th in Kempom. I mentioned Purdue earlier they are 5th, but they're number one in the country. Uh, so that's where we stand. And I know they also have, like, point spreads throughout Ken Palm's a whole big thing, but we'll just keep an eye out for where we rank. So 108, not bad. We know we used to be, and we were in the 70s whenever we beat um, uh, Oklahoma State, and we've fallen ever since then. It would be nice to have... Continued that, and if we were UNLVs only lost at this point, that would have been nice because they would have beat Cal Baptist if we would beat them. Should have finished that one because it could obviously look great, and we know Rocco Miller posted about you know mid-majors of the top tier, the second tier, and then the teams that need automatic qualifiers. The second tier guys are the teams that could be at large. We're out of that rank now. Reasonable. The Valley in general has struggled. That's not going to be any easier for some of those matchups I already mentioned. Had Murray lost to Chicago State, that would have been the absolute bottom and the absolute floor of what the Valley could have been this year. And But we plan tomorrow on seeing how that could go. So the like, Valley has not been great this year. And then I'll end here talking about Cade and the comments he made in a good interview. We mentioned how we haven't heard from everybody just yet. Did hear from Foster, haven't heard from – uh jd yet in his return that'd be nice to have and then have not heard from aj either heard from everybody else so it's good to hear from kade now we know there was a video at the start of the year about his whole college process so ronnie was talking to him about what it's like being a college student and he said it, it. he said it's been good classes have took up a part of his time outside of practices. He's been doing a good job with that. He thinks he's getting all A's. He said that maybe his psychology class could be on the brink of an A or a B, but he's doing a great job, and that's what the team wants, obviously. So he said finals, his last final was earlier this afternoon. But the biggest things were him talking about uh, with it, like getting used to the play style. He mentioned the ball pressure that they want to have. That's been something he's been getting used to uh, that Brian wants, and we heard Brian talk about that a lot. You know, they've talked about things that his high school coach and even his coach before that, that coached him in AAU ranks and even before high school, what he taught him and stuff to prepare him. And I remember him talking like at some point last year when we landed him, when he had an interview with Mike, was talking about how obviously what he was taught and his career to this point is what we were preaching here, which was a connection that landed him here. And also, the biggest thing from the interview was him talking about his his current status of the team, that he that he thinks he's played well, he's helped the guys win, he does take pride in his talking on defense. That's one of the biggest things that he says he's always been used to. He's physical, he's been saying, he's good in the paint. He thinks he's been playing well, and Roddy mentioned to him about the red shirt, and Cade said he thought he was in a red shirt, and that's what the coaches and him agreed on at one point. And then, and, it, and it's definitely the case. When we saw him come into Tennessee State, It was for sure after Oklahoma State and USI, I guess, to that point, that once Scotty was hurt, we needed somebody. And that's what Kate said. Brian went to him and told him that, hey, we're running out of bigs. We need you to play. And it has been spotty. And that's the thing. You can't, he should have been playing in every single game since his redshirt was taken off. And he could have made a difference in the UNLV. You never know. He made the difference in Cal Baptist. I mean, he made those key shots that mattered. Could have made some shots in UNLV. I know that was a crazy style of play, and they would have been all over him probably, and Brian mentioned why him and Foster didn't play was the style of play and their, their ability to turn us over, which they both could have helped us in that game. There's no doubt about it. So he just agreed, and when Brian told him that they were going to take it off him and play him, and he was willing, and he, he was upset when he thought he was going to register because he knew he could play, and he's glad he is, and we're glad he is because he makes differences in the games. He's played almost perfect in every single time he's played. It's hard to say that about anybody. You can pinpoint sometimes he's been bad, but he's been really good. And he, even he says that you can't teach seven foot. That's what he's been taught. That's really been the case in a lot of facets. Can't teach seven foot. So he's been able to use that and play well. Hoping we can see him tomorrow. Hoping we can see him moving forward. I really hope we can see him in conference play. You know, we saw him in Evansville a little bit and and short spur. And then we didn't see him again, even in a blowout. And then we didn't see him against Indiana State. So... That'd be a question mark because we know we, we play Belmont and Drake right off the bat after Murray. Well, I don't know if we'll see him in Murray either, honestly, but at the, the next home conference games, might not either. Hoping we can. You don't want to burn them and barely play them these games. And I mentioned AJ too. you got to use these guys. And it's funny because how flip floppy we can be. We mentioned if, the deeper we are, the better we are, but it's so spotty every game on how players can play that because a couple games ago we were mentioning how we need to trim the team now to like nine people, eight people on our bench. But having J.D. back changes a lot. JD's going to play a lot. As long as Clarence stays in the starting lineup, I think we'll be good. We have been scoring, no matter who it's against. So good to hear from Kay that he's having a good time, and I'm sure he's glad to finally be playing and not redshirting, because obviously if when you waste a whole year of your career, it can kind of stink, I'm sure. I'm not putting those shoes But we've seen it pay off. We saw it pay off for Scotty for one game and how it's going to look for him the rest of the year and career, and same with Foster. It's paid off for Foster, even though we know he could have been doing this last year. So good to hear from Cade. Good solo pod today, the day, discussing everything. Not a whole lot to dive into against teams like this, but tomorrow's matchup will be better because they're playing better and they're playing better teams and putting up a fight. Fifteen-and-a-half point favorites. Pick to win. Never know. Like I said, do not start slow. And we have a whole team dog of the game in this one tomorrow night. So, like I said, 7 o'clock, ESPN+. Hopefully, everybody can make a Friday night game at Banterra Center, a green out for the Dog Pound. Hopefully, we can get a decent crowd to have this home court advantage that we need in order to get this victory. So, until – hopefully, it can be both of us. You never know. On Tuesday, because we're looking to go to the CMO game, always looking to go to these local games that we can – Always tough matchups with Simo. Looking forward to diving into them on Tuesday and recapping this hopeful win. So until then, as always, go Dogs.